This morning we're going to be looking at the resurrection account from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen to these words of scripture of how Matthew records what happened on that day. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the truth of your word this morning, may its message ring in our hearts. May you bring the conviction of your Holy Spirit of the truth of what has happened on that great day. And may it change our lives forever, we pray. Amen. Two thousand years after the resurrection, people are still asking the question, where is the body of Jesus? About a month ago, on March 4th of this year, there was a new documentary shown on the Discovery Channel called The Lost Tomb of Jesus. And in that documentary, two men... Uh, Simca, Jacob Avici, and the producer James Cameron claimed to have discovered the tomb uh, of Jesus and his family in a suburb of Jerusalem called Talpiot. Uh, inside this tomb, they claim, were ten ossuaries, which are uh, burial boxes. In Jewish practice and burial at that time, what they would do is they would lay the body of the deceased in a tomb on a stone slab, And then they would anoint that body with spices and things to mask the odor of decomposition. And about a year later, they would come back when the flesh was gone, and they would take the bones and they would put them into a bone box called an ossuary. Inside this tomb, they claimed, were ten ossuaries, and six of them had names written on them. They found the name Yeshua bar Yosef, Jesus, son of Joseph. They found a Maria. A Matia, or Matthew, a Yose, uh, which could be a nickname for a Joseph. Uh, they found a Miriamna, Imara, 
who they think is Mary Magdalene, or they claim. And then they found uh, one marked Yehuda bar Yeshua, Judah, son of Jesus. And so they claimed that this was Jesus' family tomb. But there are several reasons why this is not the tomb of Jesus and why it is rather unsettling in how they release this information. Rather than bringing it to the academic community to have it be studied and analyzed in terms of authenticity, they chose instead to release this directly to the media, hoping to sell some of their materials and books along the way. All the names, though, are common names at that time. And if there was a family tomb, it would have been in Nazareth rather than in Jerusalem. And if it had been in a different location, it would have identified the person as Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth, which was the common practice when someone was buried in a place other than their own location. But only the rich could afford a family tomb, and this was obviously the tomb of a very wealthy family. And as people have analyzed the data since it came out, it just doesn't fit with the record, both historical and archaeological, of what we know about Jewish burial practices at the time. And it doesn't fit with the Gospel accounts. Jody Magnus, who's a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina, said, It is a sensationalistic claim without any scientific basis or support. So why are people talking about this? Why is this important? And why are we still talking about the body of Jesus today? Well, Wilbur Smith, who was a biblical scholar, put it well when he said that if our Lord said frequently, with great definiteness and detail, that after he went up to Jerusalem, he would be put to death, but on the third day he would rise again from the grave, and this prediction came to pass then it has always seemed to me that everything else that our Lord ever said must also be true. You see, Jesus himself stated that this resurrection would be the final proof of who he claimed to be. He pointed to the resurrection that was coming as the way that he would be declared to the world as the Son of God. And through the years, there have been many attempts to deny the resurrection of Jesus, but no one ever produced the body of Jesus. And isn't it a little bit arrogant to claim that after 2,000 years that somehow these men have discovered the body of Jesus, something that no one else had ever identified in history? In fact, the one fact that everyone agreed on in the first century was that the tomb where Jesus was laid was empty. The only question was how did it happen? Was it by human effort or divine power? That's where the scriptures come in. The gospel accounts tell us about the resurrection of Jesus. And the men who wrote these accounts were either eyewitnesses themselves or they spoke with those who were. And they recorded what happened on that day so that we might know the truth and consider the evidence ourselves. Matthew tells us that after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who's mentioned in verse 56 of the previous chapter, as the mother of James and Joseph, also went to the tomb. And the women who went to the tomb that morning were not expecting a resurrection. 
None of the disciples were. They were hiding in fear. They were broken over what had happened to Jesus on Good Friday. They were confused by the events of that day. This was not the way things were supposed to have turned out. And so the women went that morning carrying spices with them to anoint the body of Jesus. Jesus' body had been taken down from the cross on Friday just before the Sabbath. Jewish law required that when someone had died, they were to be buried within 24 hours. And so if they had waited until after the Sabbath to bury the body of Jesus, it would have been too long. And so Joseph uh, came, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they requested the body of Jesus and they placed it in a tomb that had never been used before, his own tomb. And there they anointed the body of Jesus as best as they could, but again it was done in haste. And so the women came wanting to give Jesus a proper burial. But secondly, a large stone had been rolled in front of the tomb. A stone so large that the women themselves would not have been able to roll it away and they had no plan as to how they were going to move that stone. Stones were put in front of a burial chamber such as this to prevent any vandalism and also to keep out any wild animals. In addition to the stone, though, a guard had been posted and the tomb had been sealed with the power and authority of Rome to prevent anyone from stealing the body of Jesus. It's interesting that the ones who took this prediction of a resurrection most seriously on that day were the Jewish high priests and religious leaders. Jesus' prediction was so widely known that they were concerned that the disciples might come and actually steal the body. And then this rumor would be worse than the previous stories that had been told. And so the chief priests went to Pilate and they asked him to post a guard to protect the tomb. And Pilate answered them and said, Take a guard and go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so after the stone was put in place, cord was stretched across the stone and it was sealed at both ends to the tomb with the signature and authority of Rome. And if anyone broke that seal, they would be accountable to Roman law. The Roman guard that was posted there, a guard normally consisted of four men, such as those who were there present at the crucifixion of Jesus when four men gambled for his clothing and divided it among them. There may have been multiple guards, and then those multiple guards would be led by a centurion. Tradition tells us that his name was Petronius. It's interesting. I wonder if he in time became a believer and revealed the story, even as in the sketch that we heard this morning. The penalty for desertion or sleeping on your watch was death. That's why in the account that we read today, it was such a serious charge that if they admitted and told people that they were sleeping and that's when the disciples came and stole the body, it would mean death for them. And so the Jewish authorities said that we will vouch for you. We will explain this to the governor if anything comes to his attention. 
But the story just doesn't add up. I mean, if the guards were asleep, then how did they know it was the disciples who took the body? And if they saw them, or if one of them saw the disciples going away, surely they would have called for the other guards and woken them up and they would have captured the disciples. And if the disciples stole the body, why were the grave clothes left in place like a cocoon, like the body had simply vanished and was gone and the grave clothes were left there? I mean, they wouldn't have taken the time to unwrap all the grave clothes and then put them back in place. They would have taken the body as is, leaving a trail of spices behind. And if they stole the body of Jesus, why would the disciples die for something that they knew was a lie? And why would no one ever tell the truth of that kind of hoax or fraud? You see, by posting a guard and sealing the tomb, Unwittingly, the enemies of Jesus actually strengthened the miracle of the resurrection. And they told a lie to cover up the truth of what happened on that day. There was a violent earthquake while Mary, Magdalene, and Mary were on their way. An angel came down from heaven and rolled the stone away and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, the Scripture says. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of Him that they became like dead men. They were terrified and they fainted at the sight of these angels who had come. Isn't it ironic that these men who were sent to guard a dead man, now that the dead man is alive, they become like dead men. Some of the guards went into the city and they reported to the chief priests everything that happened. They knew the truth, but they were paid to tell a lie. That's when this plot was hatched that Matthew records for us. That the chief priests conspired to gather and bought them off with a large sum of money. Telling them that you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. But when the women arrived at the tomb, they saw the angel, they saw the stone that was rolled away. And the angel announced this good news. Don't be afraid, for I know whom you are looking for, but he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Jesus is alive. Can you imagine their shock and amazement? Shock at seeing the angels, first of all, that were there present speaking to them, but amazement and wonder at what they said. Could it be that Jesus is alive? This morning as I was getting ready to come to church, I heard uh, this story uh, that was told by Leith Anderson of a tribe that for the first time saw that Jesus filmed that tool that has been shown around the world and for this particular tribe it was actually the first time that they had ever seen any kind of a motion picture as well and imagine what it would be like to hear the story of Jesus for the very first time as they listened to the stories that were told and they saw the miracles and the wonders that he performed they cheered and they rejoiced in this man 
But when they saw him being mistreated, they were angry and they started yelling and they had to stop the film actually and calm the crowd down and say, no, no, there's more to the story. There's more to the story. Just wait. And when they came to the crucifixion, these people who were watching uh, came to attack the guy showing the film, the missionary that was running the projector. And he's like, no, no, there's more to the story. You've got to wait. You've got to wait and you'll see. And when the story came and told of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, pandemonium broke out. And they began to dance and rejoice over this one who had died and came to life. And Leif Anderson said, may we never take for granted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even though we have heard the story many times over, it should fill our hearts with joy and rejoicing because of what God has done. The angel invited the two women to come and see. Come and see the empty tomb. Come and see the grave clothes that are left behind. I believe this word of the angels is an invitation to all of us to come and see. Come and examine the evidence. Come and believe. And when you have been convinced, then go and tell others what Jesus has done. The angel told the women to go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He is alive. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And as they went, suddenly Jesus met them. They saw the risen Christ. And they fell at His feet and they worshipped Him. The women saw and believed. The Roman soldiers saw and they joined in a plot to cover up the truth. What about you? Whose story do you believe? There are many people who have examined the evidence of the biblical accounts and come to the conclusion that they are trustworthy. Sir Edwin Clark was a lawyer, and he wrote this. He said, As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. And to me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. Inference follows on evidence, and a truthful witness is always artless and disdains effect. The gospel evidence for the resurrection is of this class, and as a lawyer, I accept it unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to the facts that they were able to substantiate. Professor Thomas Arnold wrote that the evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often has been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. And thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up on a most important case. I myself have done it many times over. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. And Wilbur Smith tells of one of the greatest legal authorities of the last century, a man who in the history of Britain held every high office that a judge could hold. 
His name was Lord Lyndhurst. And he said, I know pretty well what evidence is, and I tell you, such evidence as that for the resurrection has never broken down yet. These men are heavyweights in the field of law and justice. And I appreciate their testimonies to the truthfulness of what the scriptures say. But do you know the real reason why most of us have come to believe in Jesus Christ? It is because of what he has done in our heart. The evidence is compelling. But the reason most of us believe is because of the change that he has made in us. There was a point in our life where we came and we recognized our sin and we saw our need for a Savior. Or we faced a difficulty or something that was going on in our life or we looked at the world and we said, there has got to be something more than what we see. And Christ broke into our heart. And our eyes were open and we saw him for who he really is, the risen Lord. The hymn writer says, you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. We have become convinced that Jesus is the one he claims to be by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our heart and lives. About ten years ago, Jill Briscoe was asked to speak to a church gathering in Croatia. It was during the time of conflict and fighting that was going on there and new refugees were fleeing from the war-torn areas. Refugees from this area of the world, she wrote, at that time were mostly women because the men were either dead or in camp or fighting. This group consisted of Muslims, Croats, and a few Serbs who had fled to find refuge in this church. She had worked with the refugees during the day, and that night she was asked to speak at this church service and gathering with them. And she said, I struggled with what to say. Most of what I had prepared just seemed inadequate. And I prayed, God, give me the right words to know what it is that you want me to share with this group that have come. And she began, and she said, I told them about Jesus, who as a baby became a refugee. He was hunted by soldiers, and his parents had to flee to Egypt at night, leaving everything behind. And I could tell the people identified with what I was saying, and I continued to pray. I told them about Jesus' life and ministry, who he was and what he had done. And when I got to the cross, I said he hung there naked, not like the pictures tell you. And they knew what that meant. For some of them had been stripped naked and tortured. And at the end of the message, I said, All these things have, ha have happened to you. You are homeless. You have had to flee. You have suffered unjustly. But you didn't have a choice. He had a choice. He knew all this would happen to him. But he still came. And then I told them why. That Jesus died for you and me. Jesus came to deal with the one problem that separates us from God and alienates us from each other, the problem of our sin. It's the reason for all the wars in our world, for all the violence and cruelty, all the suffering and sorrow and sickness and death. It's the problem of our sin. And Jesus took them upon himself and he paid the penalty of our sin so that we might be reconciled to God. 
And when we turn to Him in repentance and confess our sin and place our trust in Him as our Savior and Lord, He forgives us our sins. And we are born again. That's why the Bible says that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Would you like to know that your sins are forgiven? Would you like to receive Christ in that way? I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the crowning proof of His claim to be the Son of God. Where is the body of Jesus? It is in heaven. Jesus rose from the dead bodily and He ascended into heaven in bodily form where He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And one day the Bible tells us He will return in His body, now glorified, and every eye will see Him and know that He alone is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because He lives, all who believe in Him will also live. Jesus gave this tremendous promise. He said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Shall we pray? Father, I thank You for the hope that we have because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And we praise You for the victory that He has won. If you are here today and you do not share that hope and you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, I urge you today to open up your heart and to pray a prayer such as this. Lord Jesus, I need You. And I ask You to come into my life and to forgive my sins, to be my Savior and Lord. I place my trust and my hope in You. Help me to know You better and to follow Your will for my life. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.